Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Saddle hunters, our brothers over at Tethered, continue to kill the game by releasing innovative products. They just recently put out the Eberhardt Series Saddle. They also put out the Menace Saddle, which is for our, our husky brothers and sisters that are into saddle hunting. That does but that saddle will do just maybe a little bit better job of cupping your quote-unquote assets. But the thing that I'm most excited about is their recent release of the Tethered One Climbing Stick. Um, this thing is crazy light, crazy strong, and crazy quiet. I'm just going to cut to the chase here and give you some specs. Each stick weighs in at less than one pound. That includes your Dynalite rope attachment. Uh, a three-pack of these will weigh in at 2.7 pounds, which is ridiculously light. It's a 17-inch step-to-step uh, single stick uh, single stick height, and there's an 8.5-inch uh, step footbed, which gives you plenty of room for, for those of us folks with, with, with bigger feet. It's all made with aerospace-grade titanium and aluminum for construction. So if you'd like to learn more about Tether's innovative products, Head over to tetherednation.com and check them out. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single origin coffee guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to skullbrewcoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 207. Today I'm joined by my buddy Wilson McSwain, and we're talking about Wilson's crazy success story and exploring new ground. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope you're out there filling some tags here as we kind of march forward toward the later part of the season. This is the second weekend of gun season. The first full weekend was new. Uh, new. So, well, I guess it's been the second year that it's been new-ish. Um, gun season came in Saturday after Saturday after Thanksgiving here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think I hunted one day during that. Um, and haven't haven't been able to get out since. So today I actually had one more camera that was out in the timber and had to go grab that um, and pull it in, check that camera card. And unfortunately, I've had pretty good luck on public land, man, where I haven't, you know, I don't really talk about it much on here if I have a, if I have something stolen or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and knock on wood, you know, historically, I've had a pretty good run, uh, at least around here, of having things be, be left alone. And this was actually the first year uh, that I had... Uh, had a camera stolen on public uh, around me. 
Um, I would like to say it's kind of my fault uh, because I hung it in an area where um, it probably wasn't going to be real hard to get to. I hung it up off the ground, you know, but there was also a branch that was nearby that someone, even if they didn't have sticks or whatever, could probably, if they really wanted to, climb up and, and snag it. Had it over a scrape and was wanting to see what was coming into this scrape that continu- continually gets made every year. And it was in a spot where I had an encounter with a good deer last year. So I wanted to see, you know, what the deal was, when, what time they were coming in, you know, is it, you know, what buck is it, what buck's in the area. And I had another camera not too far away. So I have an idea of what buck was making the sign. Um, it's just a bummer that someone decided to, um, decided to gank it. Uh, so that was the first camera around here that I've actually had stolen. Um, and so today I went in to grab another camera that I had let out. Cause usually, you know, I don't tempt fate, uh, in the earlier part of the season, you know, summer, especially when there's stuff on the trees, you know, you can kind of hide the cameras a little bit better and stuff like that. Um, and so usually right before gun season, um, uh, which kind of stinks is I'll go in and I'll pull all my cameras usually and don't want to tempt fate of getting them stolen just because there's more people I'm not saying that gun hunters do anything more so or less than, than bow hunters necessarily. It's just a sheer numbers game. There's going to be more people in the woods, you know, higher, higher chance of someone walking by the camera and seeing it higher chance of someone deciding that they would like to have a new camera. So I usually go in and just pull all my stuff just so I kind of avoid, avoid all that. So I was doing that and I had one camera that I had left out that I just get, just didn't get a chance to go, go snag. And so I went to snag that today. And uh, fortunately, the camera was still there, but they took the SD card, which is almost worse than taking the camera. It's like what I really wanted was what was on the SD card. (laughs) This was a new piece that I've not hunted before. And I was really just kind of letting a camera soak here because the whole idea was when I scouted it, I thought the sign that I had found was good. It looked like a a bigger deer was making that sign, Um, but it wasn't too terribly hard to access. It was a piece that might get overlooked. And I checked it earlier in the year and I saw a couple people walk by the camera and it was just one of those kind of out of the way places that, you know, in some up against some really kind of thick, nasty cover where I thought, you know, you might be able to catch some cruising, you know, if you could get a year's worth of Intel and kind of time it right and know when to go hit it. And you're going to have maybe like a three, four day window of when it, when it's going to be decent, you know, uh, before it just gets, before it gets pounded. And that was what I was kind of looking to gather. And, uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, didn't get that really wanted to see like when, when does were going to come in in that particular Eric's, I thought that, that would be the best, that would be the best player for that spot. So SD card gone, um, which is kind of a bummer, but at least I, I, I retained the camera. So is what it is. Um, you hunt public land. It's going to, it's going to happen. So I usually don't spend too much time dwelling or, or, uh, or complaining about it. So that was my big outing for today. You know, have a cool shirt for you today. I'm just going to kind of jump right in, uh, to the show. Actually, before I do that, two things I want to make a quick mention of one. Um, if you've not yet checked out the series or the three part video series of my hunt in Missouri, you can do that at, uh, on tethered's YouTube channel. Um, there's three different videos. We hit three different pieces of public. So there's basically a video for each piece of public that we went to hunt. So you can check that out on their YouTube channel. Also, I recently put out a, a, um, a kind of a mobile hunting gear, uh, gear video as well. It kind of goes, I, I basically go through all of my gear. Cause I just, at that point I had just gotten back from my out of state trip and was kind of, uh, reorganizing all my stuff from the trip. And so while I was doing that, I thought I might as well go through and just kind of do this video that kind of outlines everything I take on a hunt, all the mobile gear that I'm using, what I use to hunt in state, out of state and give you a sense of my layering systems and you know, what boots I'm wearing, bows I'm using, arrows I'm shooting, broadheads, like you name it, anything that I took on the trip with me, basically 
um, I talk about and just kind of go over and, and put some links in the in the description on that uh, YouTube video so you guys can check out if there's anything in there that, that interests you that you want to check out to potentially pick up for yourself. So head over to the Truth From The Stand YouTube channel and check out that video. I think it's called Mobile Hunting Gear is the name of the video. And then if you haven't yet, subscribed and uh, give the video a like. Uh, but with that, we're going to just go ahead and jump into today's show. Have a cool show for you today. You'll recognize this guy's voice. This is my buddy Wilson McSwain. He and I live here close together. Um, always love having Wilson on, man. You know, it's one of those things where he and I, we live close together. We do get to spend some time and shoot and, and hang out together, and um, but probably not nearly as much as I would like to. He's just a good dude, and I like spending time with him. And he's one of my friends who just um, consistently kills deer, man. He's like one of those dudes where it's like if you want to – you need deer killed. Wilson, Wilson can kill deer. Um, and so in my group of friends, uh, this year it's been, been somewhat, uh, a challenge. I'll say, I know Chad and I've kind of lamented that on a, on a, on a podcast. Uh, but shout out to my buddy, Bo Martonic. Um, Bo killed a slammer, um, just as of, I think yesterday, uh, which would, would have been Saturday. Uh, so, uh, congrats to him. Killed a, killed a great deer and, uh, super happy for him. Cause he and I were texting back and forth, just some of the, some of the woes we were having this year. So glad that some of my buddies are, are, are getting it done and filled, filling tags and, uh, hope you guys are too. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get jumped into the show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today, I'm with my, I feel like we do one of these about this time. Actually, I think we do it later usually. It's usually like early spring when we get together. Yeah, before turkey season. Yeah, right before turkey season usually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you probably recognize his voice. He's been on here multiple times. It's my good buddy, Mr. Wilson McSwain, the legend, the myth. Actually, he's the one person in my group of friends. If you want deer killed, like this is the guy you talk to because he's gonna he's gonna kill deer. Yeah. It's just what we do. It's it's just what we do. <laughs> or I guess yeah, some people do. Because Chad and I have been lamenting, uh, along with John, um, which John hopefully will be on here in the next like week or so, catch up with him. But uh, just been lamenting how it's like like this year just been like. Um, did you ever watch? Uh, Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN. Yes. Okay. So there's a story. And if for anyone out there that listens to Mike and Mike, you, you might get this story. I wish there was like the only sports show that I ever watched. Like I liked Golick cause he was a former player or whatever. And I thought he was kind of funny. Um, I didn't like Greenberg so much. I thought he was a whiny little snot, but <laughs> Golick made fun of him. So it made it okay. <laughs> um, but there was a guy in the NFL, and I forget what his name was. It might have been Albert Hainsworth that used to play for the Redskins, and I'm going to call them the Redskins. I refuse to call them the Washington football team. That's They're not the Washington football team. They're the Washington Redskins. Classic. Um, so Albert, Albert Hainsworth, for anyone who doesn't know, is like this great player for Tennessee. Then he got traded, and or not traded. He was a free agent in Washington, picked him up, and they paid him a bunch of money, and then he basically turned into like a pile of crap, essentially, right? And when he got to Tennessee, like he was this great player, but he always had like this, like some type of mental issue or like some anger issues or whatever, but they never manifested themselves themselves in Tennessee for whatever reason, probably because he was an all pro and they were winning goes to Washington. They suck his careers flailing and they paid him a bunch of money. So he started like stomping on people's heads and stuff like that and getting ejected out of oh, games. I think I know what you're talking about. Now. Right. So, and I think at some point he kicked the guy in the groin, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and he got ejected out of a game, if I'm not mistaken. And so when Golik and those guys were covering it, you know, 
they were trying to figure out how to say it without like saying, you know, some vulgar word that you might use in a locker room or yeah. whatever. Right. And he said, he, and he kicked them in the ding ding. Right. <laughs> so when someone asks me right now, how my season is going, I'm like, my ding ding. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it feels as though I've been getting kicked in the ding ding since about September. Oh, so boy. that's, so that's basically where I'm at. You know, it's, it seems like for me, it's been like one missed opportunity and failure, you know, whether it's like I just wasn't, a, I was 20 yards too far away or I had a deer come in and didn't get turned around in time because I didn't react quickly. But that's basically been my season. On the other hand, you yeah. have Wilson who's just straight slays. <laughs> he calls his shot. He's like, babe, Ruth, he'll call me like, hey, I'm going out to kill deer tonight. Yes. And then I get a text message with like a picture of like a dead deer. <laughs> yeah. I think you called me at one point when I was walking up on a deer. I did. You actually, your response to me was, it's really weird. You just called me right now. I just put my hand on a deer's rear end. That <laughs> yeah. was literally how you answered the phone. <laughs> yeah. That was crazy. Cause that doe, I shot that doe and we're in a special regs unit in our, our state yeah. where we can buy as many tags as we want till they sell out. And we can hunt straight through from September to end of January, basically. Cause there's basically, so yeah. many deer. So I always get a bunch of doe tags and I shot this doe. And I knew I made a great shot. I get down. There's no blood on my arrow. So, and she ran kind of towards the neighboring property. So I went and talked to that landowner and they gave me permission to go. But I went into town, got a piece of pizza because I wanted to give it time because there was like no blood on my arrow, no blood near my shot. So I backed out, went, got something to eat, came back. Now it's pitch black. It's like, oh, I love the back end of this story. I know where you're going. This is, yeah. this is hilarious. It's uh, because oh, I was on the phone when this yes. happened too. <laughs> and now it's like ten o'clock, and I now have to. It's a residential area, but where I hunt on the residential side, you have to walk through this huge cornfield. It's like the only farm in that area. So I walk down, find my arrow, get whatever, walk, find some blood. I'm like, oh, blood's great. Deer didn't go twenty. Dingo, <laughs> dingo. Literally, I think it went like twenty five yards. But I'm in the middle of this huge cornfield. You called, and I'm like, I just found my deer. It's pitch black. I have my headlamp on, and there was white fur around its butt. And I'm like, oh, man, a fox got to it or something. You know, it was cold, so I wasn't worried about letting it sit for a couple hours. You, I, you, I answer. I'm like, oh, I just found my deer. And I hear shh, shh, shh behind me. And I turn around, and like 10 feet from me is a set of, eyes from a coyote and he was on his belly like literally crawling towards me and i'm on the phone with you and i'm like hey get out of here i like lose my cool peed in my pants a little bit you're like what and i'm like coyote tried to eat me it was i've never seen a coyote like i've shot one coyote but i've never that was the only coyote i've ever seen so to have one crawling up to you have you ever seen the movie children of the corn i have not and i refuse to see it yes don't yeah only scary movie I've ever seen. But all I could, th- it literally looked like a small human was crawling towards me to That's eat freaky. me. That's freaky. I'm still terrible. I don't hunt nights anymore. Right. Like, I don't hunt <laughs> evenings anymore. I get out. I'm like, it's still hot. I got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Oh, I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, I, you know, I don't think that, uh, I don't know. I, I won't say that. I, I would like to th- think that, you know, I don't know that they would ever, um, attack necessarily i i don't know i'm not 100 percent sure though i just don't know because my wind was blowing right at him it obviously I smelled didn't like pizza i stank right and i'm talking on the phone with you and then 
I would say if they're like, if I just don't know what he was going to do because well, he was literally ten feet away. I don't. If their if their food is there and they want to protect their cash, like they might get aggressive. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because I mean, I've seen them in the timber while I've been hunting. Yeah, you know what I mean. And as soon as they spot me, man, they're they're gone. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but that's also been like, and I've seen it. Usually, I've seen them in daylight, which is a little bit different, right? Yeah, because like they're a nighttime animal, right? That's when they do most of their hunting and stuff. Like and that. So I don't headlamp. know if they feel a little bit more like emboldened at dark because they feel like they have the upper hand. Yeah. You know, and potentially with know. my headlamp, all I could see was his eyes until he stood up and turned around. That's when I realized it was a coyote. And so that was fun. Yeah. So that was, that was a, that was a good time. I remember being on the phone with you cause you like literally like freaked out. <laughs> yeah. was, hey, I'm really tough. If you're listening to this, I am <laughs> super tough, but Except I had a moment of weakness. You did have a moment. You did have a moment of weakness. I don't remember. When was that? Was I on my trip then? No, it was, bef- it was October. Was it October? Or early, mid-October? It might have been mid-October. Corn was still up. This whole, this whole year has just kind of flown by, like the hunting seasons. Like I look at the calendar right now and I'm like, it's December already. Like the rut's over. I still am holding it. Like every tag I bought, I'm still holding, you know, at this, yeah. at this point, you know, which. And it's different for me because I started hunting the, I, I shot my first deer of the quote unquote 2020 season in March. Yeah. Because I was hunting for that agricultural program where they shoot deer. Yeah. In the summer. Yep. Um, They have these tags. So I don't, it's been a weird year because I've hunted. I killed deer in March. I killed deer in August. Yep. And then my se- and then the season started. I'm like, oh, I'm. You'd be all wore out, man. Yeah. And well, then you went through. I mean, you made a couple trips west. You did some fly fishing. Yeah, I fly fished my way across the country, which was Corona started, and I drove out to Wyoming, and I think I we did a podcast after that. I th- I think after your first trip. Yeah. Because your second one was more of an impromptu where you were yep. going out to pick up a car. Yeah. You I, know. Someone, a relative needed a car driven from Seattle to Pennsylvania. So I flew out and fished in Idaho, Montana. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, terrible. Fish your way across the country twice. Yeah. And Michigan. Yeah. Um, it was weird though. Cause like that was weird being in those like Western states campgrounds were closed down Mm -hmm. so it was it was interesting trying to figure out where to stay and where to sleep i slept in a church parking lot and the the pastor of this church comes out and knocks on on the car window and he's like do you need some food a place to stay (laughs) you know i mean with your beard you do look kind of homeless ain't gonna lie (laughs) i'm like i'm fine i'm actually on a road trip he's like yes yes we all are are. (laughs) i'm like oh man (laughs) i'm like no it's seriously I'm okay. Like, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it, but I'll be fine. <laughs> yes, we all are. We are all on our own road trip. Oh, man. That's amazing. And it was a super conservative, like, kind of church that you can't go to without, like, wearing a tie kind of church. Right. It wasn't like, it wasn't like your church. Yeah. It wasn't like a local church where you come in flannel. It was like, he was like, do you need help, son? And I was like, I'm sure I do need some sort of help, but... <laughs> I'm good for now. I'm not going to deny that there's <laughs> yeah. probably something you could help me with, but uh, at the, at the moment, I'm just you know going to go ahead and take yeah. a nap. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't remember. Did you antelope hunt on that trip? Because your your intention I was, was to. I was going to, but the fishing was so good because <laughs> nice. I had connected with a guy in Wyoming who had 
he was like, you don't have to pay a landowner fee or something or other. I don't know how it all works out, but he was like, I got a ton of does and there's still permits available. So my goal was to make it to Wyoming to antelope hunt. But then I fished two days in Montana on some really famous places and was catching fish and which was awesome. And then I hooked up with a guide with a guide and went on a float trip, which I've always wanted to do through some cool parts of Montana. I mean, I'm catching fish in between two herds of elk on either side. I'm like, That's this crazy. is ball. I literally, I'm like, look up bald Eagle flying over. I'm like, it's this like is America. It. I call my wife and I'm like, this may be the end for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just seen it all. I've seen too much. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's it, at that point you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. I, yeah. can, I can go. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it was, I wasn't showering. I was fishing out. So all my stuff was wet. Cause like it was hot out. So I was just waiting in my shorts, right? Which is fine. But then you got to get in your car and drive. And so, yeah, it was, I was roughing it, but it was, I could care less. And yeah, man, it's like those trips when you're doing those types of trips or out on hunts or whatever, it's like, like I'm typically like a pretty clean, like freak. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, I've, it's, I mean, I, I like the shower. It's like one of those things where it's like, I, I feel refreshed after yeah. I do or whatever, especially like when I'm hunting and stuff like that and it's cold out or whatever. It's like, there's nothing better than like a warm shower when you come home or mm-hmm. whatever. But there's sometimes like in this last trip, because we were living out of the trailer, uh, the little DIY trailer that I built, you know, I, I built like a little DIY shower and I took a couple showers out of that, but it wasn't like something you wanted to rig up every day. And yeah. so you would kind of use it judiciously. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Maybe every third day he would. It use was like it. an event. Yeah, because like he had to re- rearrange a bunch of stuff and set yeah. it up and then tear it all down. So and I did take some truck stop showers while I was gone, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. But I those always sketch me out. I'm like, uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to Loves, man. Loves actually did it right in Missouri, like the place that I new went sponsor to. Sponsor of the podcast, Loves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The uh, they had a really nice one because I was always kind of skeptical. Now Chad from his rodeo days was very used to taking truck stop showers. Like I had to, I didn't know how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know, like... Do you have to pay at the counter? You do. Okay. Like, because I didn't know, I was like, was this, like, a vending machine thing where, like, you go up to, the, like, the door and you swipe your card and, like, the door opens and you go in? Like, what is... What's the deal? Like, how do you do this? <laughs> and Chad's like, you never taken a truck stop shower? I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm in the majority that would say no. no. Like, you know... That's a mean? normal thing to say no to. Yeah. I was like, I'm not a trucker, you know? I was like, and whenever I was in the band, like, we would usually have, like, a place we were staying, like, yeah. a hotel room or whatever that would shower. Or we just wouldn't shower because we'd stay in the van and we would drive to the next town or whatever, yeah. you know, or maybe the green room at the venue had a shower or whatever the case was. Yeah. So truck stop shower wasn't a, th- wasn't a thing, you know, but yeah. him, when he was in the rodeo, that was like where he basically showered. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was normal. Yeah. And so he actually had to show me how to do it. Like, you go, <laughs> he actually bought my shower for me because I was like, how do you do this? He's this like, one's on me. He's like, oh, let me just buy you a shower because I feel like you're struggling, you know? Yeah, we. but I've said this, I think, in every podcast is like, for guys that get opportunities, say yes. If, if you are able, and it's not a burden on your family, to say yes. And this last, that road trip with when I fly fished was one of those, it was last minute, kind of threw out an offer to someone and they were, they took me up on it. And you're like, oh, all right, I'm really flying out to drive your car back. And I had no agenda. So it was the first time I'd had a trip like that where I didn't have an agenda so I could camp or sleep or fish. I just knew I had to be home by a certain date. Right. And for a lot of while, I just didn't even have my GPS on. I just knew I had to go east. And I just drove east. And I'm like, oh, look. Do you see something you like? I can fish there. And I fished. And I grew up fishing, didn't do a ton of fly fishing, and it was fun to just catch fish and 
Yeah. I've, I've perfected the making coffee in with your jet boil while driving. Don't try this at home. Kids. Don't try this at home. I do not <laughs> recommend it, but it is like, I'm very good at it now. You're very good at yeah. it now. I, I got to kind of see this technique. Because, because you have no agenda, you actually spend less time driving because you're bouncing around fishing or hiking or whatever. Then when you get in your car, you're like, dude, I got a motor. Mm-hmm. And I don't have time to stop for coffee or go right. to the bath, do other things. And uh, So I just go to the bathroom yeah. in my jet boil and I boil it <laughs> boil and I make my coffee. Sanitize it and <laughs> rock and roll, baby. Right. Conservation. Yeah. I, I, that is the one thing about those trips. That was the one thing about this trip that I took that I really, that was probably unique and different from some of the other trips that I've taken you know, like when I've gone to Montana in the past, like elk hunt or whatever, that was a very specific, like we're going to this place, we're yep. hunting this, we're going to be here for this period of time. Right. Yep. You um, know where you're driving, the route you're getting, where you're staying, everything. Right. And for this, you know, last year to Iowa was like, I had a tag for the specific zone. Yep. Right. I knew I was going to hunt this specific piece of public. Didn't know where exactly, but I had a cabin. So I knew I was staying at this place. Yeah. Right. And everything was going to have to happen around or, you know, orbit around that. Yep. This trip was... I knew I was going to Missouri in one other state. It didn't really matter when I got to what which state. Well, it did matter whenever I got to Missouri because I was um, I was meeting my buddy Zach there, and then Chad ultimately was meeting us as well. So I knew I had to get there first. But where we went from there was just like, you know, however we felt the hunting was going and whatever we wanted to do. Yeah, you know, and so we would spend two days at one place and kind of suss it out. And if we felt like it was going to get good or could be good, we would maybe spend an extra day. If not. You know, we picked up camp and we moved and we went to three different pieces of public and it was, I mean, there was no agenda. The only agenda was find deer yeah, and try to get away from people. Yeah. Those, that was really the only criteria outside of that. Um, you know, which was nice because, you know, it does a couple things. It frees you up a little bit, man. Like that was like, for me, that was, I like freelance hunting, but that was like the ultimate in freelance hunting. Cause not only was I freelancing like on a piece of public, I was like just freelancing in the state. You know, yeah. what I mean, like I started in one corner of the state, and I ended up in like the middle part of the state at one point. Yeah, you know, I actually purposely didn't text you a whole bunch because I knew I'm like, when you go out of state and you're trying to figure stuff out like that, it's like you don't really have t- a lot of time. So I text you a few times. I'm like, yeah. Where, how are you doing? Where are you at? <laughs> right. You know, and I got some text, but you just have so much going on in your mind because you are freelancing, but now you got to go. All right, I got to pack up right now and hit the road so I can get it get to where I'm going. Right, because that was the only thing that you tried to be on a schedule with. You're trying to prioritize your daylight, really, is what it yeah. comes down to, you know? And so it's like, you know, if you're going to move spots, it's like you're really trying to move, you know, early enough. You need to try to make your decision early enough in the day so you can try to get to wherever it is you're going to go next so you yep. can at least get that afternoon to scout yeah. for a couple hours yep. to figure something out for a morning setup. Yeah, That way you're not burning the morning setup. And then a lot of times you wouldn't be set up for very long that morning because maybe the intel is like lukewarm at best because maybe you only had two hours or so to put boots on the ground and so you're really just scouting out a spot for the morning so you so you don't burn that gray light you know to miss an opportunity and then as soon as the gray light's gone you're like all right i gotta go i gotta pound pavement and find the next setup for the evening and what i'm gonna hunt the next day because we basically only gave each spot like two days yeah we would scout an evening hunt the morning hunt that evening maybe hunt the next morning then we were gone you know yeah. what I mean? And then we were off to the next next spot. Well, yeah. and it's cool because we do – it's not like this is your first time going to a new place to try to find deer. Yeah. 
And for a lot of people listening, you may hunt the same spot over and over again. So you know that there's deer here, there's deer there. But when you walk into a public place and you spend a majority of your day banging around. You're just trying to figure out if there's a proof of life yeah. anywhere. And sometimes you're like, man, one rub line and a couple day old scrape is not going to do it for me because yeah. there's so much else we can go look at, you know? Yeah. The other hard part too was like, you're really having to qualify on each parcel. Cause it's like, if you have a little bit of experience with a spot, like, so, you know, for example, we'll take like the one piece of water access that I've hunted like this year in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Right. I've never hunted it before, but with some trail camera in, Intel and some like old sign, I kind of knew what to expect for sign. Yeah. And then I got some visuals of some deer in like the caliber of deer, right. And the yep. age class of deer. So I could quickly kind of understand. It's like, okay, even if I'm not seeing big sign, it doesn't mean that there's not big deer here or yeah. that there's not a big deer in the area, you know? Yep. Um, because I had, I knew that there were big deer just from the cameras. Mm-hmm. And if you were just going by what the sign was telling you, you wouldn't put those two together, you know? Yep. And so I knew that even a small rub at the right spot meant that there was probably a good deer in the area. Yeah. Um, you know, even though the sign, the sign wasn't big, but when you go into new places and you're, and you don't know like how to quantify the sign. Yeah. It takes you a minute to try to try to figure it out, especially when you're in places like, you know, we were in Northeast Missouri, like near the border of Iowa. Like you would, you should look, be big deer there. Should be big deer, should be big sign. Right. And we did find some big sign and that's what we ended up hunting. And we ended up seeing, you know, had an encounter, albeit a brief encounter. You can go to the tethered YouTube channel and see the first videos up um, of that trip. But we saw two shooters like the second morning or whatever. I think it was the second morning or the f- first morning, actually. No, it was the second morning, second, second full morning. Um, we found a really big rub and a scrape and some good stuff. Yeah. Um, ended up, <clears throat> there ended up being, <clears throat> I don't even think we mentioned this on the, I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous podcast and I don't think I mentioned it in the film, <clears throat> in the video. Um, but the one guy that was giving us some Intel that had hunted that spot before he ended up missing like a one sixty that I'm pretty sure we bumped to him because it came from where we were at in oh, the morning. Because nice. we got into these scrapes a little a little late. Deer drive. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was wind bump, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, I can't say say for certain, but it just, it was just kind of curious that like we bumped the deer that headed in that direction when we got to that scrape line. Now he either was well, th- they weren't tended right then, like when we looked at the scrapes. So he obviously mm-hmm. was probably coming into those scrapes to tend. Yeah. So we needed to probably be like another 20 minutes, 15 minutes earlier. And we probably been all right. Um, but it was a two mile hike and it was just hard to get into, to get in there yeah. early, early enough. Like we were, we, we were 15 minutes late and sure enough, like 30 minutes later, just a little North of us where that deer was headed. And it's the only way that the only way that deer could have went. Cause if he went, um, South of us, he would have ran into the river or he would have had to like bang a right and cross. And we would have, we would have seen him like would have seen yeah. whatever it was. And so he obviously went north and then, you know, the timing just kind of worked out like, cause like a half hour later, 40 minutes later, he ended up missing like a 160 at 12 yards. So it was probably that deer. And <clears throat> it was probably the biggest deer that was on that particular piece because the piece was not huge, you know? And so, and there were a couple different guys hunting it. And so we could kind of get a feel for like what was there and what wasn't there, which is why we pulled camp after like two days. Cause yeah. we, we felt like, all right, dude missed one a big one he's going to obviously be hunting that spot he's not leaving you know yeah we're going to be relegated just to like the the b and c sections and we've seen some decent deer but 
there's a lot of pressure and there's probably gonna be more pressure moving in as the week goes into November. So we should probably just get out of here. So that was, but you're right, man. It is tricky whenever you're hunting places that you just don't know a lot about. And I, it's funny. I was just trying to think in my head. I've only ever whitetail hunted in one other state. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. And it was at my uncle's house and he was like, go sit in the stand out back. You know, they had some property. Right. Now I've turkey hunted in a ton of yeah. ton of states and it's the same thing. Like in Kansas, spend 45 minutes at a spot and you can quickly go, let's hunt it, let's not hunt it and move. Right. And that's what's exciting. Like when I watch your first video from on YouTube that's from the tethered hunt, I got jacked up when, you, when Chad was like, yeah, I think we need to go. And you're like, yeah, let's go. That gets me excited because you're like something new, more exploring, mm-hmm. more putting time on the ground, looking for sign because you just don't know what's going to be out there. And so I can equate it to turkey hunting because I've done that for turkey hunting right? where you're like, this is a good spot. Let's hang or let's go bust a move. Yeah. And then typically when you get into something, you're like, this is why we moved to find something because yeah. you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one bonus that we had on this trip, you know, and I love Chad. Chad's my road dog. And, you know, that was the first time Zach and I hung out together. And Zach's a, Zach's a baller, man. Like, I I love, like, I, I'll hunt with that guy anytime. Like, he's just, he's just a good dude. Knows his stuff. You know, great, cam- great camera guy. Um, and he's from Missouri. So it was actually, it was helpful because oh, he cool. has a little, now he's never hunted like Northern Missouri, you know, where we were at. And so it was the first time for him being in that area. And like, just from his, talking to him and like when we were seeing stuff like the deer were just way bigger than what he was used to like body yeah. wise and whatever um which is why we made the move to the second place we went to because it's probably a little bit more familiar you know and that episode will come out here at some point but it we it was way more familiar terrain than what chad myself and zach were kind of used to yeah. which is funny because a couple of our buddies were like you know when we said we were going to move and it was the terrain and topo that we were probably more familiar with they were like oh man no 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 we want to see i want to see you like hunt somewhere where you've not familiar right yeah to, to just see you hunt something different earlier. yeah um because we went the second spot we went to was a much more like ridge country you know you know not super steep ridges but some elevation changes and like yeah. you know river or creek bottoms and stuff like that um but the benefit that we had was that there were really i mean there was two of us because zach and i were always together and Chad was always off on his own. So at least between the two of us, we could cover more ground and kind of get a good feel pretty quick for what was going on. As opposed to if you're completely by yourself, Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, cause the first spot we were at Zach and I basically spent all of our time in the North section because we knew that one of the guys that was there had been hunting the South section. And I didn't want to go bust his hunt up. So I was like, well, I'll just go to this other spot. And then he left camp. And when Chad came in, Chad went to the South section and scouted all that. So we basically had the whole thing mapped at that yeah. point. Like we knew what was there, what wasn't there between the scouting we all had done. And we were like, yeah, we, we need to bust, bust the move and get out of here, you know, which was helpful because it wasn't just one point of view, yep. you know? Um, 
we were able to kind of pull our information and make a collective decision on what needed to, on what needed to happen. Yeah. It's fun. I'm excited to see your other videos. It's cool to see your trailer and in, in use. <laughs> I got to watch it in the process of being built. And I'm like, yeah, you know, during your process, I'm like, is he actually going to use this thing? And then now it's like, Hey, he's using it. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's cool. Yeah. Well, I rode dirty from Missouri to Pennsylvania because at one point, I don't remember if it was Zach or me or what. Um, it was probably me. I don't remember. One of us, I know it wasn't Chad because he didn't move my truck. It was either me or Zach. One of us pulled the truck forward and the lights were still attached, like still plugged in. So when we, when we dropped it and I didn't recognize when it happened, you know, we just wrapped stuff up and we went to hunt. It was the last place that we were at. We were at. And when I went to leave, like they all left, you know, Chad was driving back home to Ohio because he had to take care of some business for a couple of days and Zach was done. And so I stayed at that spot one more night and then I was driving to the next state to meet Chad. And so I got and hooked everything up and I'm like, why aren't my lights working? I'm like, <laughs> I had no lights. Like I'd have brake lights. I didn't have anything, but I didn't notice it until I was in like Illinois, I think. Oh, and I pulled over and it was starting to get like dusk out or whatever. And I was like, man, my brake lights or my lights should be on by now, you know? And I'm like, man, that's weird. So I like turn a turn signal on and they weren't on. I was like, well, turn signal if it doesn't work, it's not a big deal. I like put the emergency brake on and went around to look at the brake lights. I'm like, man, there is not a light on this thing. Like <laughs> nothing. So I slept in like a, like a rest stop that night. So I wasn't driving at night because no one would be able to see me Yeah, from behind and got up at like daybreak the next morning and drove like the next state. And then, you know, just, I ended up fixing it when I got home. Like literally it severed the entire thing. So I had to like rewire <laughs> the entire like wiring harness to get lights to work again. But I was just hoping your heater didn't catch the thing on fire. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't slightly concerned about oh, that yeah. because there was that in like the first morning after you, cause the first night when everyone was there, like the first night I was there by myself before Chad and Zach got in, I didn't need the heat cause it was warm. The first night they got into town, it was like 27 degrees that night. And so we had the heater on. Right. And so I was like, one, I hope it doesn't catch on fire and like burn <laughs> us all alive. And two, I was like, hope that carbon monoxide detector works. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Cause that was like, it's going to be a real bummer if none of us wake up tomorrow. You know, I slept, I have a van. <laughs> this is a side thing. I have a van, old van and diesel van. I was on a road trip and I slept in a Cabela's parking lot out of Mr. Buddy's heater. Mm -hmm. at, you know, people having their box blinds or whatever. I lit that thing up and I'm like, is this safe to like light in an enclosed area? Negative. I didn't have cell service. so I couldn't look it up and I'm like, well, I'm a real hard sleeper. So I'm like, if I go to sleep I w and don't wake up, never going to know. I'll never know. So, yeah. <laughs> so I went to sleep like peaceful knowing like if I die, I just won't know it. And right. I just won't wake up. I did text my wife and I'm like, if I, you don't hear from me, I'm in the Cabela's parking lot at this location. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Cause it was free. It was like 14 degrees out. I'm like, I gotta light this heater on. And right. I did wake up if anyone was concerned. Yeah. The, I did Surprise. <laughs> I'm alive. I did wake up at one point that night with like a <laughs> gasp. Like, cause I was like, you know, I wanted to wake up at some point or, you know, at least like check to make sure like everything was cool or yeah. whatever, you know? And so after that, I was like, I was good to go that. And I also realized that like that thing's not airtight enough. And yeah. I always, anytime I run the heater too, it's like I leave the window open, yeah. you know, or at least cracked or whatever. Yeah. So should be good to go. Also that night, Chad woke up the next morning. I was like, man, my face is cold. And I'm like, Hey, 
genius probably because you left the door open by your head. Like he never <laughs> shut the door, left it open. So that was, uh, you know, why he was cold. Also probably why we didn't die. Maybe. Yeah. So that's a that. good thing. But man, let's, let's uh, flip the subject here. Let's stop talking about, you know, we can talk more about Missouri and that trip or whatever, but I want to hear about, well, I, you and I talked about this already. Like you killed a great buck in, mm. in Pennsylvania. And then you also went and you hunted in another area in PA prior to that. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's talk about your trip first because you took a, you yeah. took a little trip and this is a place that you and I've, um, wanted to go check out just in general and haven't had a chance. We even talked about it this like off season. Cause I yep. was like, Hey, I want to start heading to this specific area and start yeah. scouting. I was like, cause I, I was like, I feel like there's good deer there and like, it's, you know, rugged and it's all the stuff that I kind of like or whatever. It feels like it'd be ripe for good deer. Yeah. Um, and you were like, season was rolling around. You're like, Hey, guess what? I'm yeah. going to go to that general area, you know, to, to do some hunting this year and I'll, I'll suss it out and let you know what I find. So like, talk to me a little bit it, about that trip. Yeah. It was another one of those last minute things. I became friends with this dude pretty quickly, met him and we, it was like, you hunt, it was I hunt, at first sight. let's be friends. And, um, it's kind of how we, that's kind of how we met. Yes. <laughs> and, um, so he goes, Hey, I'm going upstate. We live in the lower part of our state. So we call everything. Up, north of us know, upstate. North, even if it's five minutes, it's yeah. like, I'm going upstate. Okay, and I'm um, going to Doylestown. Yeah. And, uh, he goes, Hey, we're going up. You want to come with us? And, um, this guy and his two, two friends, they've been talking about getting into saddle hunting. So that's kind of how I met the other guys. They tried out my setup and then they bought their setup. So they were all jacked up to go hunt on other saddles on public land. And so we went up, I hooked my camper up. I was like, well, I could bring my camper cause it's going to be raining and cold. So we brought the camper and camped. It was awesome. It was a fun time in general camping right. and whatnot. And it was my first time really whitetail hunting public land big woods, big woods mountains right or pennsylvania hills or whatever you want to call them no i'd say where you're at you definitely get into yeah. some mountains in that general area i mean for people that are listening like where we live it's like you'll get some mountain type stuff in a couple of the pieces of public that we've scouted yeah. and hunted in the past some of the stuff i was hunting this yeah. year around those cuts and stuff but by and large it's a lot of flat stuff yeah you know or very very subtle you know grade changes and stuff yep. like that. Like you're not getting like, it's not hill country, ridge country, bluff. Like yeah, you're looking for high spots yeah. and that's about it. So we drive up and got up there super late, set up camp, woke up in the morning. It's pouring rain. So the guy said, well, let's, he had his spot. Like he goes every year, he hunts and he sees deer or whatever. And wouldn't tell me where it was. <laughs> and he was like, but you can hunt everything else. So we start driving around and piles of deer. I mean, on public land, which down here, we just is not Yeah, it's normal. not commonplace. And so we see a bunch of deer and the information from the locals is that the acorns were just shot. There was nothing and everything that you would find is just totally rotted. And so a lot of everything was just down low, eating on grass and people's, you know, there's a lot of hunting camps up there. So mm -hmm. in and around those hunting camps. And then we split up and it stopped raining and I'm in this spot and right on this open field, I see this big buck. I was like, there's a big buck standing right in the middle of this, <laughs> literally like the parking lot is right there. hundred yards from the parking lot. There's a big buck and there's like 15 does. So we let him go. And then 
I hunted there in the morning and it was kind of like similar to down here. Drive around, you see a deer and you figure out how to hunt it. Right. Hunted it that first morning, saw some does. I don't have a doe tag for that area, so I couldn't shoot any does. Otherwise, I would have shot a lot of does. Right. And then after that, I kind of got that out of my system. We just put our packs on and started walking. And I found some, it was cool to look at maps and say, let's look at this terrain feature. That was the first time I've really done that. And man, we, we, a lot of mountain laurel, Mm -hmm. which I'm not used to and clear cuts and select cuts, which Mm -hmm. are, I realize are two different things. Yeah. And so trying to figure out, um, the difference between what's a select cut, what's a clear cut, how old is it? Yeah. Which I've heard a lot of guys on your podcast talk a lot about. So it's cool to kind of hit that. Dude, like to hear it and then actually visualize it and see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we walked for three and a half miles and there was not a sign of life. And it wasn't like we were going to go back to our car and keep going. We only had three days. And so we just kept walking and would kind of go, all right, this spot's a bust. Let's, where we go next? Let's just keep walking. And finally, for the first evening sit, we got on um, some really good sign. And then it started to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And the guy I was with had never done any public land hunting, only our area farm, you know, go right. sit in my ladder stand that has been there for 30 years. Right. And so I was kind of helping him out. And so we, the first night, we found some really, really, really good sign. And he, I had him set up on it. And then I left him. I'm like, you stay. What were you? What were you? What were you? Uh, what were you starting to run into in terms of like just in terms? So of there would be there was in this area they would do a big clear cut and fence it off. Hmm. And so, which I'm walking in the dark, it's like construction fencing, just like, like deer fencing. Oh, with deer fencing, yeah, hmm, weird. And so I'm walking in the dark. I'm like, <laughs> run into a fence. I'm like, there's a fence, like. Four miles back into this, and it's, you know, a 50-acre chunk of land that they fenced off so that it could grow up, and then right. they would take the fence down. Well, after we found that, we realized to look at the map, and we could, you can tell on the map, there used to be a fence here. Oh, wow. And that area has grown up. And then we looked up to see how long they would keep the fences up for, to know, like, all right, this one, they how just took the, the fence cut? down right, last right. year, yeah, yeah. and it was beautiful habitat, like, beautiful. Nice. So... It had been pouring, pouring rain. It was really, really hard to see a scrape. Leaves were falling. Right. And even if there was a scrape in the morning, it was like leaves had covered it and it had been soaked up. Right. And so we were, I was just looking for rubs, any sort of rub. And there was a ton of old, we started to hit some kind of historical sign. And then we would, I would drop a pin and then we would kind of just start to slowly circle that historical sign and then find some sign that was like two weeks old. And then we would start to get in the sign that's like, all right, there's still bark chips on the ground. Right. You know? Yeah. And it, and when I say rain, like it was pouring rain. We were yeah. soaked. And so we would find, I found the biggest, we talk about big rubs. I found the biggest rub I've ever found in my life. Really? Yeah. I think I sent you a picture of it. Mm, um, I don't think you did. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, I think you did. Yeah. But all the sign was between the old select cuts, which you could see for 200 yards through. Right. And it was just about two foot tall mountain laurel. And then there would be a, tr- you know, logging trail and then it would be a clear cut. Hmm. And these clear cuts were so thick that you could find the one deer trail into these clear cuts. So like there wasn't like trails coming in and out. 
there was like a entrance and an a exit right and then maybe a side trail that was used by tiny tiny deer i don't know right or raccoons right and so we would find that deer trail into those clear cuts you they were impassable i couldn't walk through them and we would hit this group where there would be 15 rubs within the span of 25 yards right and then just try to figure out what are our thermals doing and where's the trail Mm -hmm. and so um that first evening sit was awesome because it was my first real sit on public big woods. And I had, I probably could have killed five or six does, which was awesome. And I had a small buck that wasn't legal because you have to be three on each side. Right. And the guy I was with saw a few does and the other guys that were hunting the exact same way we were, were covered up in bucks. Hmm. And, um, I ran into a trail camera about 100 million of those reflective pins. Right. Which I didn't see until my way out. Right. So that first night we're on our way out and I was like, someone else is hunting in here. We were so far back. I'm like, this is awesome. Untouched maybe. I couldn't see any human sign. So we just totally abandoned. Who knows how old those pins are too. Yeah. Well, these ones look, they they weren't rusty at all. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So so, those are relatively new then? Yeah. It may be not from this year. It may be from like the past two years or something like that. But yeah. Um, And that guy who I was with, we got it. We set up at like two o'clock and, um, at about three fifteen, he looks to his left and there's a guy with a climber. Now we're way back in there and this guy with the, he waves at him and the guy with the climber stops and hangs his head <laughs> and turns around and starts walking back the other way. He walked a long ways to get in there right. and that was the only deer sign. So I don't know where that guy went from there. Second night, we just, same thing we were looking for hard, hard transitions because those old clear cuts were so thick. We were trying to find the hardest type of transition where a buck could come out of his bed and instantly see what's going on. The thermals in our area were so funky because it was the mountains, but they were because it'd been logged and clear cut like these logging roads would come through and actually would create this, the logging vacuum. road would create a vacuum. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like I've talked to Dan about that before, like in, um, we probably talked about it during our series. I know we talked about it on the session he and I did together when we talked specifically about wind and thermals. There's almost like this backdraft that happens yep. like whenever you're sitting like in an open area up against timber or yep. whatever because that wind comes ripping through, then it hits an object and it has mm-hmm. to do something when it hits an object. And so it kind of rolls back on itself yep. and creates, yeah. So those are those are kind of those yeah. are kind of kind of funky. I think I thought I had one of those. Uh, there was, I had something very similar happen this year and I don't remember where I was hunting to do for it to do that. But anyway, I'll think of it. But the, so we had three nights to hunt and on on our third night, um, every sit we had deer around, it was just buck sign was good. We just weren't seeing the right ones, the right ones found a new area logging road. So just for purposes to the North of me, I'm in my saddle trees in front of me and then on the other side of my tree on the north side is this clear cut that's a steep it's a steep hill and the wind is coming out of the north it was great so i'm sitting on the opposite the south side of the logging road i have a clear cut behind me with a deer trail coming out of the laurel into the clear cut and the logging road in front of me so i got does crossing and every doe that walked by was like looking straight up at me and i was like what in the world is going on because the wind is in my face and it was a stiff wind and I started dropping milkweed and it was like the wind was coming off the hill 
hitting the logging road, which created this like vacuum and sucked my wind right back <laughs> up the hillside. And so I'm like, I didn't have any other options. Our last night I couldn't move because I had about an hour and a half left. I'm like, I can get down and just keep walking. But the sign was so good and the rut was starting to pick up. I'm like, I'm going to catch something coming across was my hope, which I eventually did. A buck came from my left and came directly behind me. The wind stopped and I hear this and I look behind and I just see antlers. He was outside of his ears. And since I don't have any cameras or anything up there, I was like, I'm going to shoot a good, just the first, whatever gets you excited, the first good buck that gets me excited. And all I could see was he was outside his ears and I'm like, that's all I need. And I'm shooting him. And so I get turned around because he's behind me and the wind stopped. And I'm like, this is perfect. My thermal is actually sucking against the hill and he's not going to smell me. Well, the wind stopped <laughs> and literally <laughs> my wind just goes right to him and I ranged him. And as soon as I put my range finder on my pouch, he was like, gone <laughs> i was like you gotta be kidding me it was cool to experience it and try to get around and work the thermals um but i think in total we saw i mean we we all saw good bucks and that same night we're about four and a half miles from our truck at this point the other group of dudes is a little over two and a half miles from their truck and i get a text that says buck down and i was like sweet and they were hunting there there was these kind of mining holes that were about 50 yards wide by about a hundred yards long. And they're about 12 feet deep. Hmm. And every little hole pocket hole was filled with sign. There was buck beds and rubs and scrapes and everyone. Cause I got to go when I helped them drag their deer out, I got to look at it and we're standing in these bowls and the thermal from every side was sucking into those bowls. So a buck could bed in that bowl and any doe or anything that walks within However, whatever, a hundred yards, yeah. 200 yards, whatever it is. Yeah. He can smell. And so, but it was like a, like a staging bedding area. Mm -hmm. And so they got in there super early and the one guy drew on two different bucks. This guy drew on a buck and then, you know, they're got busted or whatever. And then he ends up shooting this buck. It was fun dragging two and a half miles out right. in the dark. How was it? Was it good deer? Yeah. 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 Pennsylvania has this typical mountain deer stereotype mm -hmm. that guys are like, oh, it's good for the mountains. Um, but he was like 115 inch, nice. three and a half year old. It was a, it was a great deer, nice. you know, whether it was down here or up there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you get into some of those mountain areas like that. It's like, even on this side of the state, it's like, you, and that was my kind of theory. It's why I started looking at it. Cause I was like, you know, around here to find a, you know, a, uh, a, a good deer with like good age on it that has potential is, is, is hard, you yep. know? And I shared a couple, well, I, I shared trail camera pictures with you all the time, mm -hmm. but I had two deer on camera this year that were probably four and a half years old. And the one was a, one was a hammer. And I probably yep. had like two that were three and a half that were good deer. And that was the one, I, one of the ones was three and a half is one I had the encounter with that I screwed up like yep. whatever it was two weeks ago. Um, but there was one that was like over one, over one forty, you yep. know, really, yeah. really good deer. Um, and it, and you can find those now and then here, but like, you know, you and I've talked about this in this general area. It's like, you'll have one year where it's like this year I had, you know, two deer that were really good. One of them vanished and I never mm -hmm. caught up to him. So I have no clue where he went. And then I had that big deer. And then I had probably two other three-year-olds that were like right around Pope and young, you know what I mean? Yeah. That were good deer for the area. Next year I could have zero. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could have just nothing on yep. camera, you know, and maybe get lucky and catch something cruising on the rut, but nothing that I could like know what the opportunity is. Right. Yeah. And when you go to places like that, where you were at, you just have so much more ground you can cover. Yep. Right. Cause around here it's like, it's smaller chunks, you know, and yep. you're limited in how much you can move and stuff like that. And you go up to places like that and it starts to really mimic more how I hunt whenever I go to the Midwest where it's like, I can literally go out and hunt the opportunity down. Yeah. Right. And it would be different too. Cause what I want to do this year, when we go to scout this late winter, early spring, or even go up and, you know, bear hunt or whatever, yeah. um, is I want to take trail cameras and put out trail cameras and just let them, yeah. and let them sit for like a year. You yeah. know what I mean? And then go back and check them and then start to have an idea of what's around because those deer up there will have a better opportunity to make it from one year to the next. Yeah. You know, just because the vast nature of the space and the, the hunting numbers, the hunter numbers in the general, in the general area. Yeah. Big hunting heritage up there, but huge tracts of land and not nearly as much population density. Yep. And gun hunting heritage. Yeah. So like. Bow hunting, you're probably pretty clean for the most part. Yeah. And this is shout out to last night. I got up in this. We found good sign. I was blown by sign that if it was down here, I would never blow by because I would get to it. I would go, man, I just walked blah, 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 blah. And there was no sign. Find really, really fresh sign and realize like there's probably something just a little further. Mm -hmm. And so that was a cool experience. Like kind of make a mental note. Here's the first good sign I saw that if I was down here in my small plot areas, man, I would hunt that. Yeah. Like crazy. Yeah. Um, but I got my last night where that buck came in, I got up halfway into the tree. I realized this tree is deader than dead. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to I can't be in this tree cause it was windy. Yeah. And so I get down and there's a tree about five feet to the left. I start getting up to that tree. But by this point, my, my ropes for my sticks have been all tangled up. Everything took me way too long to get in this tree. I'm really struggling. <laughs> I look like a goober. I'm sure. I get up into the tree. I look, but I'm like, start looking around and there's a trail camera like 10 feet <laughs> from me. And so if the, there's a dude on here listening and he's got a guy going up and down a tree like five times because <laughs> I dropped my backpack. It was a mess. That was me. I'm not normally that disheveled. Um, but that, whoever that guy was did his homework. I mean, he was way, I'm talking way back in there. Yeah. On the sign in a great spot, hard transition. And it's just, it's, it was hard to get on deer up there because of how open the one side was and how thick your mm -hmm. cover was on the other side. Yeah. And so I think if we would have had maybe two or three more days, we didn't find that really, really, really good sign till that last day. Right. And that, that was when that buck blew me from behind. So it would have been fun to spend some more time there, but I'm excited to go back up there because yeah. by the time I got up there, I think that was like our 12th mile for the day. I was wiped. I was toast. Right. And so I'm excited to get back up there with fresh feet. And Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Cause it's just, I know I've looked at it on the map. I've done, I've e-scouted it and kind of looked at it and was like, yeah, this is a place I think I need to spend some time. Um, where I think there could have some opportunities to probably run into some really good deer. You know, yeah. I kind of equated it to, I don't think it's exactly, but like I look at it and I'm like, you know, the Alleghenies, like when you get out, yep. like the Pittsburgh area, out toward Pittsburgh or whatever in the western part of the state, rugged country, big mountains, yeah. you know, or big mountains, you know, for the East Coast, mm -hmm. you know, um, and great deer, like yeah. good age structure, find some really high caliber deer, yep. you know, whether they're big or not. I mean, Litzinger killed a great deer there yeah. this year. Um, Bo has been on multiple big deer yep. there this year. Um, and so when I started looking like, 
that was really what it was. Cause I was like, man, I'd love to go hunt the Alleghenies. And at some point I will. Yep. I was like, but it's just too far for me to go to hunt consistently. Right. It's like, I need to yeah. make that like a thing kind of like Greg does where it's like, I need to go out with like him and Johnny Stewart or whatever and go hunt it a couple years in a row yep. and try to, that way the third year, maybe Not I me. finally get on. The, Don't go hunt with me. Well, dude, <laughs> yeah, you can of course always go, you know? Um, but I came home and then two days later killed a buck down here. Yeah. So. We're, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. Um, but, I like to go to the Midwest and hunt too much mm-hmm. to like invest that time in Pennsylvania right now. It's yeah. like at some point I will. That's why I was looking at this. Cause like, you know what? It's closer to home. I've got the travel trailer now so I can literally work from it. I, so I could go up on a Wednesday, hunt the mornings and evenings, yep. like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then hunt Saturday, you know, yeah. and be able to put some like real time in there to try to hunt it and figure it out. You yeah. Know? So that's why. And I feel like the terrain is right. And somewhat similar enough to the Alleghenies to where it's like, you can start to, probably find similar types of pockets and similar types of deer. That's yeah. kind of was kind of what my thinking was. But so yeah, rub it in, why don't you? You came <laughs> home, you know, and of course killed a buck killed a killed a buck. You yeah. know, I got that text message which was uh which was awesome. But like dude, you gotta tell the story for this because yeah. this was like I told it so I got off the phone with you, right? And I th- think I was in Missouri still, maybe. Mm-hmm. I was on the trip, wherever I was at, whatever state I was in. And I get off the phone with you and I look at Chad and I'm like, I was like, I was like, yeah, Wilson just killed a good buck. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Pennsylvania. I'm like, yeah. I was like, dude, and it's a classic Wilson story. I was like, cause like the dude just does like nothing normal happens. So no. I was like, it's not like, Hey, I arrowed him. He went 30 yards and I found him. And it was like no big deal. I was like, it's always an adventure with yeah. Wilson. And so I told him the story. And he's like, gotta be freaking kidding me. <laughs> So you need to tell this story, dude, because it's like, it's almost, it's nearly unbelievable. Yeah. And I wouldn't have believed it. Like I had people there with me that was like, they're like, I can't believe that just happened. There's this, it's one of my spots that's during, it holds does and bucks cruise there. All summer, there'll be bucks there all summer. They peace out. And then during the rut, there's this one little funnel that they cruise through and there's been a buck there the last couple of years. He never leaves. He never leaves this, I don't know, probably let's say three, 400 acres of property. And now there's big housing development on one side. Then there's kind of a farm that nobody hunts besides one guy. And you, if you step foot on there, he'll try to shoot you or something. Right. Terrifies me. But it's kind of one of those spots that if you blow it up, the deer are gone. Right. And so I hunted it once. And... Then I hunted it a couple weeks later with a good wind because it's a really weird wind that you need. And the wind shifted, so I left. But I knew I'd gotten pictures of this buck in the summer that didn't get any bigger from last year. And I'm like, this deer's got to be five and a half years old. And so, I don't know. I'm not the best at aging deer. He's an old deer. But you've seen him for multiple years. Yep. And so it's He's like got a first. big scar on his shoulder. He's very recognizable. Right. And in the what you've had three years of history with him. Yep. And he had it and he was decent the first year. Yeah. So and then, he wasn't a year old. He yeah. was probably a two year old. Right. So. And then this year he gained, didn't get any length, but gained a lot of mass and his body was massive. I'm like, it was a big body deer. Dude. I'm like, I want to shoot this deer. I'm like, he gets me really excited, but I got three pictures of him this summer. Never another single picture of him. And, um, I'd been hunting a, a different deer that I wanted to lay eyes on before I shot. And cause he's really, he's a big antler deer, but he's not old at all. 
And so I was like, I'm going to go hunt this deer, get in the, get in my tree. I'm hunting. The wind is perfect. There's does everywhere. Does on the property next to me. I can see him eating grass. And I'm like, this is gonna be an awesome night. Well, then towards the end of the evening, uh, I had a seven point come by, whatever. It was a great night of hunting. You know, there's mm-hmm. rut activity, buck, couple small bucks chasing. Yeah, you just does. had, it was good action. Like yeah. you're just enjoying yourself. Yeah. Kind of one of those nights where you get out of the tree and you're like, that was a fun hunt. Then my wind switched. Like literally it was like, whoop. And I was like, oh no. And uh, this little property's got a cornfield in it and then it's got a big hay field. And that's pretty much it. So I'm like, I got to get out of here because I cannot blow this up. Like I can't blow these does out of here. I can't blow this up. So I got out of the tree, walked to the edge of the corn. I had probably 20 minutes of light left. Looked in the hay field. There's no deer. So I'm like, great. I'm going to, bounce out of here and get to my truck. I take about 10 steps into the hay field and I'm walking right through where deer going to cross. And I hear, shh, shh. and I was like, Oh, that's not good. Cause it's really like, you can't blow these deer up. I looked to my right and here's the buck walking straight at me. And I'm in, the, it's light out. I'm standing in the middle of a hay field. I got my backpack on. I got my sticks on the, I got everything. I look like a Sherpa. Right. I got my Ozonics thing over my shoulder. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's literally walking right at me. Came through the hedgerow, starts walking straight at me. I like head down, I knock an arrow. And now I'm like half hunched over thinking I can hide in like a hide cut hayfield. There's right. nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot. And then he turns and starts walking parallel in front of me. And there's this big patch of weeds that the farmer just didn't cut. I don't know. And he goes behind it. I range it. It's 30 yards. And uh, I'm shooting a single pin. I took five steps. I don't know why I thought it would be. I'm like, let me just try to get to 25 yards. Which, looking back, probably wasn't a smart thing because 30 yards right. is fine. I took five, you know, I was like one, two, three, four, five, and stopped. And he didn't move. And he was looking right at me. I could see him through the weeds. And I don't think he knew what I was and just put his head back down. And stepped out. I mean, if there's the so leads. many, if there's so many does out there that time of year, though, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if there's just so many does, like that's the one thing around, around here. If you are hunting some of these, like either really small parcels or like private permission small parcels or whatever it is, you know, there's usually so much deer activity because they all get pushed into like these little spots, yep. right? And so they're used to like just, at least my opinion is right. They're used to a lot of like deer motion sounds and they're used to like like people sounds and you know not saying that they won't blow out but the the right deer will be more tolerant yeah you know what i mean and i was you know i look back and i'm like i was standing in a shadow like because the sun was setting and so like i wasn't a big shadow and everything else was still lit up and he's i drew and as soon as he caught my wind is when i stopped him so I knew he was going to catch my wind was blowing right at him. That's why I was trying to get out of there. He caught my wind. I stopped him at the same time and buried my arrow right through him. And as soon as I released, you know, when you have a shot and you're like, that was sweet, you know, shot breaks, yep. everything was good. You know, nothing, everything was perfect. And I just heard, uh, like it sounded like a shot a tree. Right. And I was like, are you kidding me? Well, when I stopped him, he put his, left leg back, pushing his shoulder backwards. And I just caught the edge of his shoulder blade. And I just watched him tuck tail and run with my pink Luminoc 
just bouncing Flapping. through the air. Yeah. And I'm like, I got like three inches of penetration. This is what it looked like. And my heart sank. I felt, I like, was shaking so bad. I fell to my knees. I called my wife. She didn't answer. I called my other buddy and I'm like, dude, I shot a buck, but I don't think I got very much penetration. And he ran towards the property. We can't go on. Game commission can't get us on. Cops can't get us on. We can't get there. So I wait 30, 40 minutes. I walk to my truck and he had bedded about 10 feet from my truck, like five feet off the road. There's a tiny little hedgerow. He jumps up, runs down the road. Do you still have your arrow in him? No. Okay. So as I was walking back, I find my arrow and there's about two inches broken off. Like the broad head mm-hmm. and two inches of my carbon are gone. So I'm like, well, I had to get past the shoulder blade for that to break off. And, um, and there was good blood on my arrow. Like it was spraying. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. But when I jumped him, I can literally hear him running on the pavement. It's like down the street. And I was like, what in the world? I had just met a neighbor who had just moved in. I'm like, well, I'm going to go talk to him. Cause he kind of ran towards that property. And he was like, if you shoot a buck, let me know. I, I'd love to help you find it. I talked to him for about an hour. My buddy shows up and he, we were like, well, let's go start. Let's just go back impact, start looking for blood. And we're walking down the road. I'm in camo, which I typically, if I shoot a deer, I typically take my camo off and try to look like a normal, normal person. Right. And, um, I'm walking down the road in my camo, which saved me because here comes this diesel truck just going like five miles an hour. I'm like, what's this guy doing? He stops, rolls his window down. He's like 25, 26 years old with his buddy and his girlfriend. He's like, do you shoot a buck? You know, real redneck. Right. And I'm like, yes. A lot of people hunt in this area. Yep. He's like, how big? And now I'm like, why is this dude asking me this? And I said, well, he's good. He's a good size. I'm not going to tell him he's bit real big. I said, right. well, he's a good size. And he goes, oh, cool. He's in the bed of my truck. <laughs> I look at him. I'm like, dude, don't be messing with my emotions right now. Right. Because we all know the feeling of waiting to go find a deer. Hitting one or thinking it's going to get away or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, no, really. I look back there and there's my deer I just shot in the back of his truck. <laughs> I look back at him. I'm like, what? And he gets out of his truck. I look there again. I'm like, that's the deer. He's like, that it? I'm like, yeah, I can show you trail cam pictures. I can show you everything. And um, I gave this dude, I mean, it was Corona or whatever. I gave this guy the biggest hug. Right. I lifted him off the ground. He's like, I don't even know you. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and um, drops it off in my truck. So like I literally shoot this deer, go through all the emotions of like, Okay, I made a good shot, but I hit the shoulder, which is no good. So maybe, hopefully, I find him. To waiting an hour to having the buck dropped at my truck. That's crazy, man. So where did where did he find him? So he went about three hundred and fifty yards down the road and literally took a nosedive into the ditch in front of his farm. <laughs> and so he had been hunting that evening. He comes home, and the buck must have fallen as soon as he was coming into his parking into his driveway because he said it was still alive. So he's at, he drove to his house, which is just down the driveway, grabbed his, grabbed a weapon mm-hmm. to come put the deer down. And when he gets there, it was dead. And then the neighbor came out and was like, what are you going to do with this buck? You want to just throw it in the woods behind my house? <laughs> and he goes, no, this is too good of a deer. We got to go find the guy. Right. Someone's going to, someone's going to be looking for yeah, it. Yeah. So he 
puts it in his truck and he remembered seeing my truck parked in on the edge of a field and was like, I'll just go see if that guy shot it. And that was the first guy he talked to. And it's rare to find that like right. someone who's going to go out of their way to take, to pick this deer. I was, I was blown away. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's a good dude right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just... So I call my wife and she's like, have you found blood? And I'm like, no, I found my deer. How'd you find it? I'm like, guy dropped it off for me. She's like, what? I'm like, I tell her, I'm like, he found it, brought it to me. And it was just amazing that I had been walking on the road at the same time that he was coming up the road. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, it was kismet, right? It was, it was meant to be, man. I mean, that's, I mean, one, it's like kudos to that guy for doing the cool thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like plenty of people probably would just like put it in a truck, hung it up. Yeah. Not put a tag on it or anything. Been like, oh, finders keepers. Cut the head off. Yep, and just like been like, all right, got a freezer full now. Like, yeah, you know, so you know, good on that guy for for doing the right thing and at least going out and making an attempt of trying to find the person if he could yep. or whatever. Because I mean, truthfully, it's like he was risking getting in trouble. To be yeah. honest with you, it's no like tag he, on a buck. It's right. not gutted. It's in the night. Like, it's kind of sketchy. Kind of sketch. You can get in trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, if a game commission or a cop would have pulled up or something like that and been like, "What are you up to?" or whatever, yeah. it's like try explaining that. <laughs> I'm just yep. trying to be a good dude. I found this buck in the ditch. Yeah, yeah you did, buddy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I did go back to my shot, found where my arrow was laying, found blood, tracked blood to the bed next to my truck, blood on the road. I drove down the road and because my buddy was like, you sure this your deer? And I'm like, yeah. And so I went back and back followed blood. And followed everything. Yeah. So I would have, the, the nice thing is I would have found him. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he had picked it up and I had missed him, I would have followed a blood trail to no deer. Right. And so I'm very, very thankful he did it. I'm just very thankful that he found me. Right. And that it worked out. Yeah. 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 Cause then, yeah, if you walk there and you're like, all right, the blood ends here. Yep. Where do I go from here? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that was what I told Chad. I was like, dude, only Wilson <laughs> would like, would the guy down the street yeah. pick the buck up out of a ditch? And go find him yep. and give him his deer. Yeah. I was like, me, I would have never found that deer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, would have never, would have never happened. You know, I uh, was like. So I ended up, you know, when I got him open and everything, I got so my arrow because it, he ran for probably 50 yards with my arrow in him. I got that first lung and shredded it uh, okay. because like my arrow went through the shoulder blade into that first lung. And then he, because he ran with it before it came out, my prod head was just in there just up Dice and down up. all over and so yeah. i'm surprised he made it out of his first bed right um well if you didn't bump him he was probably gonna die there shortly because yeah. i mean it yeah. doesn't sound like he ran far it sounded like he lived like another yeah 45 seconds maybe yeah after that yeah and exactly the weird thing is i never parked there like i never parked my truck at this part of the property but i had kind of gotten a little late i usually park at the house i was like you know what i'm gonna just park up here on this the edge of this road because i don't like my truck on the side of the road right and um so it was just a weird that i parked my truck there which helped this guy find me so it just all worked out yeah like everything that had to happen like yeah ended up happening which is which is crazy man but it was cool as the first buck that like my son who's five he'll remember this one Mm -hmm. because like my wife it was bedtime you know but she's like i'm getting bringing the kids over you know and it's like 35 minutes away so right she brings the kids down 
they helped me gut it. That he didn't gut it for me. That was the only thing. Right. I was like, come on, dude. Come on, dude. If you're gonna pick up my buck for <laughs> yeah. me, it's like at least you didn't cape him out for me. <laughs> no, so they helped Braxton, my son, helped me gut it, which was sweet and got pictures with him and like he'll remember that you know it, yeah. was, it was cool it'll be the first one he remembers helping dad yep. with his buck and then the neighbor who i talked to when i when he came to see the buck he pulls his phone out he's got a thousand trail camp pictures of him are you serious yeah and so nice. he which i just never knew because this property that just sold they were like no hunting very anti-hunting so i had no information about this property that was just across the street turns out every single picture of this buck all summer was at his property. Right. And then, but I just knew like this funnel, he had no does. Hmm. I'm 200 yards away with every doe. Right. And this one little funnel every single year, I'll get four or five days worth of one buck and then I'll never see him again. Right. And I'm like the first week in November, we got a, that big cold front. And then, you know, we got that heat heat right after. Yeah. It was the last day. So I'm looking at the weather and I'm like, this is the week I want to hunt. This is the last night with cold weather before it gets high temps. Yeah. And there was, that was the most deer activity I saw all year. Nice. So. Yeah, dude, it was a great buck too, man. Big body. Yeah. Awesome deer. And that was your biggest one to date, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Biggest weight. And, um, I don't have official antler score on him yet, but he's just the inside measurement was the widest deer I've ever shot. And his mass is bigger than any deer I've shot. So, he will score, I know a lot of people are in or not into score, but he'll score, I think, in the high 120s, which is it's great deer for around for here, man. Yeah, for sure. Only hunt urban right, yeah. areas. And I have a few farms that I hunt, but it was small parcel, which is, it's just awesome. Um, yeah, it was super fun. I was like jazz. So the next day I'm like, I got to go out. I got all these doe tags to fill. I'm like, right. I'm going to get right. I was, usually people shoot there. In our area, you shoot your buck and people are like, pressure's off don't have to hunt anymore i'm like dude i gotta i'm gonna go shoot some does man so i go out the (laughs) next day to my other property where this other buck i'd been hunting real hard had been showing up i'm pulling down the driveway and he's standing where i did i text you this no he's standing in my parking spot that's awesome missing half of his antlers oh really i thought i told you this no so he's a super young deer but he's really cool because he's a mainframe 10 and off his G2, he's got like a three inch flyer, which for our area, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to shoot this deer. I saw him a bunch of times under 30 yards, but the property lines are so funky. I couldn't shoot him. He would, there was an abandoned house, which most people are like, dude, no one lives there. It's fine. I just was not comfortable shooting right. over a property line that I don't have permission. I have yep. no way to get permission because I don't know how to get in contact with this owner. Could have shot him a couple times. I pull in. He's missing half his antlers. (laughs) And now he's totally living. Like, he locked onto a doe and now has not left this property. (laughs) And so I'm hoping that this week and next week, gun season are good to him and he doesn't get whacked. (laughs) Right, yeah. Because he's a really, really good deer. So this is the first year, like, I got a really good deer for next. I've always had deer that I'm like, let's shoot them next year. Let's whatever. Right. This year, I'm really, I'm already really excited for next year. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of been my hope for that deer. And now I still have my buck tag. So, you know, I've not given up at this point yet. I still have some hunts in me. We're going to take that trip, do that, you know, whether it's during late season or whether it's during, you know, we end up going to hunt bears or something like that. You could get a New Jersey tag. 
Like, dude, I need to fill like the ones I yeah. have. It's like, okay, <laughs> like, I, what am I doing? Just making like a collage of unfilled tags over here. Yeah, you put it on your wall. Yeah, you know. Um, so I've not given up hope yet, but there's part of me that like I don't know that big deer that I had on camera. Like, he's really been a phantom since probably like the like he. I should have taken the 30th and the 31st off before I left from Missouri because he yeah. was super active those two days. And now I have like intel and it's the first year I hunted this property. And so I kind of now know like when things start to flip on in that general area. And it's not a surprise, right? It's the yeah. same time that like a lot of places flip on. But there are properties that turn on different differently at different times, right? Yep. And it was very clear that like that big deer was very active those last two days of, of October. Middle yep. October, very late October. And then after that, he's almost, he's nocturnal. You know, he's, I only really saw him moving on this property at night. And then basically since like the third, like he's just been gone, like yeah. disappeared. Haven't seen him since. So I don't know if he's been killed or what I'm hoping I get like a rant. I, like I'm at, the, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point now with him where it's like, I don't really care if I kill him this year or not, Yeah, but I want just a picture of, of proof of life yeah. that he's still around. So I know, cause next year it's like, I kind of know what needs to happen with that specific deal, yep. you know, at least, um, but I think this general area will play out consistently year over year. Yeah. You know, I say that. Well, the fact crossed, that you but... could get in there this year and be on a deer like that. Yeah. It says a lot for that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a day late on him or a day early on him tw- two different times. I mean, yeah. you know, we got a couple Sundays here in Pennsylvania to hunt, but there were two different Saturdays that I hunted that I had the right wind on Sunday that I would have hunted him again. If I were, you know, legally allowed to hunt. And he showed up both of those Sundays in daylight mm-hmm. and it's not at 14 yards. Yep. And it's know. not the, we see, you know, on social media guys post a picture of a buck in front of their stand. Mm-hmm. They're like, should have been hunting today. In your case, it's a lot of those guys don't see those bucks because they're bumping them or blowing them out, getting to that stand. Yeah. You kind of have this foolproof uh, thing going on that you're yeah. not bumping him. So yeah. if you see a picture of him, you would have seen him if you were there. Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. Theor- Hypothetically. Yeah. In theory. I mean, there is like one trail that basically comes up from where I kind of access mm-hmm. that I do cross it. It's the only one that I cross. But what I've noticed is how they're kind of, the, at least the trail camera pictures that I've gotten, like they're only coming from that general area at night. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, I'll put it this way. It's like, I don't believe you ever go into anywhere necessarily. And I'm sure there's someone out there that probably proved me wrong with data or, or Don Higgins might feel differently about it or whatever, but like at least on public land, I'll put it that way. Like, I don't feel like there's anywhere you can access that you're not impacting deer that they don't, that they don't know that they have zero clue. You've ever been there. Like, I just don't believe that that's true. Yeah. I think you're just trying to leave as little impact as possible and have as little disturbance as possible. That way they may not recognize you've been there until you've maybe hunted it two or three times. And then they've, recognize that you're there right yeah because there's there's clearly a deer trail that kind of goes down so like where i'm accessing through the water that's how they're kind of getting down whether they're getting a drink or whatever because i found rubs actually where i parked my kayak like a kayak in there's rubs right there and i was like but it's really the only way i have to get in to that spot and so i'm like you know when are they using this i don't know do i feel like i'm damaging anything well wasn't it opening day that you were in there that in the northern part of this piece. And there was, oh, it's a different part where that guy was rattling and yeah. grunting like a 
orchestra yeah, quartet or whatever. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it was September. It was September nineteenth, and like you would have thought he was in like Texas. Yeah, in a high fence. Yeah, in Texas, and like October thirty first, just getting after it with grunts and rattles. I was excited because you were going in pumped, and you texted me, and I was like, "Yeah, what? I mean, well, the funny thing was, was one of the deer that I had in that the spot, that great kind of like pre rut spot around that scrape." Like I had him in that northern part of the property. Yeah, and I think he was one of the. I feel pretty strongly he was one of that group of deer that I bumped that had that really big deer in it. Yeah. So I have a feeling like it was because what I had seen whenever I had glassed was that one deer that you know I've thrown out like he was probably like pushing one sixty right. Yeah. That was the side which is a giant. It's a giant deer anywhere, but that's a giant, really giant deer for around here. Yeah. Huge. And then I saw another one that was an eight point with him that was like pushing 140 and over and i feel like that's the deer that i was on yeah right and then there was yet another younger one uh i say younger one, he was probably three and a half year old that was like probably like a 130 you know eight point or yeah. whatever and i had him on that north camera and i also that's um the one i ended up having the encounter with was was that one that i blew the the screwed the pooch on yeah you know two weeks ago or whatever and so, and it's funny because they've all, they dispersed and they disappeared because I had them as a bachelor group early in the, like, I don't even know what it was before they were fully, I want to say it was probably like late, late July. And you could just tell like a few of their characteristics. And so now when I go back and look, I'm like, oh, that's that deer. That's yep. that deer. That's that deer. They all disperse, but they all end up spending time there during rut. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it, you know, I, my, I'm hopeful that like not all of them get killed and at least I'll have like one of them that ends up coming back that yep. ends up being the boss. Cause it seemed like yeah. that one was the boss and he was the one who was like, whenever he was around hitting that scrape, there wasn't another one of those deer on, on camera typically. Yep. And it wasn't until like he would be gone for a couple of days, a couple of the other ones would start to kind of sneak back. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get into this. Um, or if it's going to be a tangent or maybe I'll just delete it and it'll never have happened. But <laughs> I just want to have a shout out uh, or just a plug a little bit because I switched a bunch of archery stuff up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, As did I. And this is the, I've shot 10 deer this year mm-hmm. with my bow. Um, people are like, oh my gosh, that's too many deer. <laughs> um, again, we have a l- overpopulated urban areas where we can kill a lot of does. And, um, I switched a lot of stuff up. I got a new bow. I changed from a five pin to a single pin double or two pin slider. I changed my release. And um, looking back at shooting my buck, I don't even remember drawing my bow, anchoring and settling my pin. I think because I spent so much time because I switched my setup, Mm -hmm. getting to know it, making sure everything was dialed in that I never drew and had a question on my shot. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to make a plug. Like it's okay to switch your gear. Oh, I yeah. hear a lot of guys say like, and it's, I like the term if it's broke, don't fix it because my old if setup. If it's not broke, don't fix it. If Yeah, there it is. There you go. Well, I'm like, if it's broken, just duct tape it. Yeah. Um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, you might get an, I got an itch to change my setup up. and. I changed, everything was working fine. I changed it, but it's been so awesome this year, but only because I spent so much time getting to know my setup. Right. And now I'm working at an archery shop. Well, I was just going to say, you work at an archery shop now, right? Yeah. It's like you've learned a ton, like you tune bows, you set bows up and stuff like that. It's, it's, uh, 
Bob and AJ's yeah. is the shop that you work at. Great dude. That's where I got my bow from. Um, solid guys know their stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm just making the plug cause I like the guys. Like I bought my bow. They didn't give me anything. Yep. So it's like, they don't pay me to see yeah. this or whatever. It's yeah. like, um, but I did, I didn't change everything. I changed my bow because I was on a hard time getting the one that I was shooting. To well, tune. and you switched your release this year. No, I have shot a back tension for the past two years. Oh yeah. Got it. Yeah. So that, forget I said that. Yeah. So that didn't change. But um, we get, we see it a lot. We see it all the time. I mean, we get guys that come into the shop, the season opens the next day mm-hmm. and they're like, I want to get a new string on my bow. I'm like, all right, cool. And they're like, and I want to get a new sight. I'm like, do you want to hunt this week? <laughs> right. Like, are you planning on trying to shoot a deer? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's get into it, you know? Right. And so I think it's cool to change your setup. It's awesome. Yeah. Try new stuff. Um, but just make sure you know how it works. Yeah. Make sure you have time to spend yeah. with it. You know, it's, and I have loved my, my s- double pin on a slider. Do you really? I, I absolutely love it because I know that from 35 and under, I don't have to change anything. And if there's some reason I want to shoot, anything further than 35, which I've shot a few deer further this year, mm-hmm. you have time to move your sight. Well, when they're that far out, usually yeah. it's like you can make some adjustments. One thing that helped me a ton, and you wouldn't know it, you know, based on my, <laughs> <laughs> my the outcomes this year in Missouri. Uh, your perils. Yeah, my perils. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was... I won't go as far as to say I was struggling, but yeah, I had some probably questions or doubts with like precise pin placement based on, you know, changing my bow and stuff mm-hmm. like that, because I kind of knew what my previous bow would do and I knew how to hold off or where, where to hold if I was over, you know, 25 yards or if I was under 25 yards or whatever yep. the case was. And I had Brian Broderick on uh, my buddy from day six. Gear, yeah. Right. I shoot his broadheads and his, and his arrows. And he kind of had, and he went through, and if you've not listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it because he'll explain it better than I will right now. I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of it. But his whole approach on a whitetail setup is to remove anything that could possibly go wrong and remove all the guesswork out of taking your shot. Yep. The point being is that things happen so quickly in the whitetail woods, especially if you're, you know, if you're like a normal dude and you're probably taking your time off during rut to go hunt the rut. You know, I had encounters with shooter deer multiple times on this trip. Yeah. And there was only twice in that trip where I actually had one that was like walking. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like I had time to watch what he was going to do, you know what I mean? And kind of like anticipate everything else was like they were moving and you had to be on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and what he does is a couple things like one, he doesn't use a drop away rest to yeah. hunt whitetails. And he's like, the way he explains it is he's like, look, when guys are hunting, when guys shoot bows for money, target shooting, like the Levi Morgans of the world and stuff yeah. like that. He's like, they ain't using drop away rests. He's like, you know why? Because it's something that could fail. Like, why are they going to leave that to risk? Yeah. You know what I mean, he's like, so what they're using, he called it a, like a snake tongue maybe or something like that where yeah, it's blade. like, yeah, it's like it just sits up there and it shoots. And when the arrow comes through, it folds down. It, like, it's not mechanical. It just like the arrow, I think the, don't quote me on this, but I think the arrow knocks it down. Like as it's going through, it's almost like a whisker biscuit, but it's just holding the arrow and that's it. Right. And it's just stiff enough to hold the arrow and then it falls away whenever the arrow goes through it or whatever. And he was like, why? Because if you're shooting for a 
$40,000 check, do you want the fact that the rope on your, on your drop away arrest slightly moved whenever you were between that, the last round and the next round. Yeah. And now you're shooting an inch low yeah, or an inch high or yeah. whatever. Right? What it is, it's a blade. It actually doesn't move. It's on a forward angle mm-hmm. uh, okay, and yeah. your veins run on either side of it. Okay. And the only reason to know this, I'm shooting the Lancaster archery tournament this year. Okay. Nice. And so I just, I don't even think we talked about this. No. I got, I just set up a target bow at the shop. Nice. It's sick. <laughs> I'm hoping Lancaster happens. Um, they right, haven't yeah. announced if it's going to happen or not. Pennsylvania just changed their mandate. So I'm hoping it happens because I'm, shooting my first tournament there which i'm pretty excited about but yeah so that blade is fixed at a forward mm-hmm. angle there so you your go. your veins run on either side of it nothing's moving right um so so that's so what he does he uses a whisker biscuit because yep. he's like you know people will make fun of it because it's not the fancy equipment or whatever he's yeah. like but it doesn't move he's like you can freaking pound nails with it and it's not going to move it's not going to fail it's not going to break like especially and, if you're out on a hunt out of state somewhere or something like that not at home it's two feet per second less. Right. So I'm using a whisker biscuit. We, I literally just did this yesterday. We were testing some bows at the shop. It's two feet per second slower. Right. And when we're talking high 200s, almost right. in the 300 feet per second range. It's nothing. It's two feet per second is nothing to blink right. your eye at. Right. And so that's the one thing that he does is he removes all like moving parts. Yep. Right. From his, from his setup. The other thing that he does is he shoots single pin. And, you know, what he, the way he explains it is, is that, you know, a deer's kill zone is about six inches, right? And so, really, you just need to be anywhere in that six-inch range, mm-hmm. right? And so, what he does, and this is what I ended up doing, it helped me a ton, was step back to 30 yards, right? And hold your pin on your optimal shot, like your like in the sweet spot, right? Whether that's the heart or like whatever, like I kind of look at it as like center mass of lung, right? That's kind of where I'm holding. Right. And when you're holding your pin there and you're shooting, you want to shoot and place your single pin at the distance where your arrow is now landing three inches below where that optimal shot is. Mm. Right. Because, you know, so for example, at 30, at 30 yards, I think it was right. So for me, it was setting my pin at 26 yards at 30 yards. I land three inches below my optimal spot. Right. The reason being is that whenever you're inside of that range and you're shooting, you'll shoot a little, a little high. It's typically okay because of the angle that you're at and that, that you're, you kind of, you kind of need to hold a little high. Like, so if you're at like 10 yards on a deer and you're holding on the, on the bottom side of the heart or whatever, yep. And you let it rip. It's like, well, that's not where you want it to land. Yeah. Like you actually need to land higher so you can go down through the vitals. Yeah. Right. He's like, so it almost kind of takes care of the angle compensation for you. Yeah. He's like, when you're shooting out to like 30 yards, he's like, I've never known a white tail to not drop at anything 30 yards and beyond. He's like, so if you hold it on the center spot and you let it rip, he's like, it should drop probably six inches. He's like, in a, in a lot of cases, he's like, you're still at the top of the vitals at six yep. inches. He's like, if it drops three inches, he's like, you're dead. You've ten, you've pinwheeled it. Yep. You know, he's like, so now it's taking all the guesswork out to where he's like, you don't actually change where you're holding your pin on the animal. Yeah. He's like, you're holding it at the same spot, whether you're at 25 yards, yep. whether you're at 15 yards, whether you're at 30 and that yards. takes time. Like you got to, which you did, you yeah. shot and shot and shot and shot. If anyone follows Clint, 
we know you shoot your bow. We get right. it. <laughs> but so it's good. Hopefully like, one day it'll help. <laughs> it reminds all of us, like, if that's the way you're going to set your bow up, it's awesome. Yep. It's it's not foolproof, but it helps a lot. I mean. Well, it just takes any of the thinking out. Yep. Like, I typically range when I get into a tree, mm-hmm. and I have a 30-yard ring around me, and yep. I know anything inside of that, I just grip it and rip it. Yep. And I don't have to think about what distance is it at, what's it doing, yeah. especially, like, you know, the one thing I would caveat, and I think Brian even caveated this, is like, you know, he hunts Alabama pressure, right? Yep. Even on private, right? Pennsylvania, definitely pressure. You know, a lot of the people who listen to this, pressure. Mm-hmm. Most deer are going to drop at 30 yards and, and beyond. They're going to have enough time to react a yeah. little bit, right? And his point being is that, like, whitetails, when you watch whitetails, and he's he's... I won't say study this, but he has because he's hunted all over the world. Yep. And so he's actually watched how different animals load whenever they hear a shot go off. Yeah. And you'll never see a whitetail load up and forward. They always load the rear legs. So they load down and back. Yep. Like, so when they go to move and they get spooked, they load down and then they fall back because yep. they're just going to use gravity, their advantage to get going, you yeah. know? And so that's kind of what he takes into account whenever he's thinking about that. Yep. And so what his setup really has done has done for me is like, I no longer have to think it's just make yeah. a shot. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's it. It's no like hold this high off, yep. like hold this low or whatever. It's just let it fly. Yeah. Yeah. I even, I mean, I changed my broadheads even this year. Right. Um, the broadhead I was shooting was super hard to get. And so I'm like, well, I'll just try something new. And this was in the summer mm-hmm. when I was just managing does. And so, man, I was making some huge holes with these broadheads that people trash all the time. Right. And so I was like, I love this broadhead. And it's a mechanical. And Greg Litzinger posted a picture of his arrow and was like, fixed blades are better. Change my mind. Mm-hmm. I immediately posted a picture of my mechanical and a dead deer. And I'm like, mechanicals are better. Change my mind. I like both. I've shot both. Right. It's the biggest question we get in the archery shop. What broadhead should I shoot? Mm-hmm. Any blade you shoot properly through the vitals of a deer. We'll kill it. We'll kill it. Yeah. I mean, heck, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can shoot a, a dull blade mm-hmm. through. Now, it may not kill it as efficiently or ethically, but you have to find something that in your mind, you know, will work. Yeah. Because the reality is they're all going to kill deer maybe some differently than others, but I have no discrimination. It's just, it's been so cool this year shooting 10 deer, a bunch of deer with my bow and every single one I'm confident and in my gear right. and in my setup. I shot, I took my son out as he turned five and he wanted to hunt in a tree stand for the first time. Now he wasn't hunting. He was just coming with me. Right. Put a binocular harness on him, filled it with snacks. It was awesome. I'm like, we're not going to see any deer, but he's going to have the best time ever. He had a harness on. He was strapped to a tree. He looked like a little killer. Well, when you know it, here, here comes some does. And he's like, I see some deer. Now, he can barely see over the... Sh- it's a double stand. and He can right. barely see over the rail. And I look, and sure enough, there's some deer coming. But they were a little farther out. It was 42, 43 yards. Standing their feet and not a care in the world. Wind was loud, coming straight in our faces. So I shoot this. He grabs my leg, and he's like, killer. I was like, oh boy, my son, he's, he's already like real amped up about hunting. Right. And so I draw and they start to walk. And so I stopped it. And as soon as she stopped, I just hear my son go, shoot her dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no. So I let it rip. 
I shoot her. She didn't drop, and I shot right, hit right where I wanted to hit. She goes about 40 yards behind us into the field because we're facing into the woods and dies behind us. And so I said, hey, before we go look for blood, I saw her die. He did not see her die. I'm like, we're going to go back to the truck, take your harness off and stuff, and then we'll go find some blood. We walk in the field right past this deer. He's so excited to go get a snack out of my truck and then go back to the arrow. Right. We literally walk around like the deer's whatever. Okay. We go right by the deer and then he's like, let's go find some blood. But it was, it was cool having an opportunity. I mean, 42 yards was a longer shot. Right. Um, but everything, it, when I talk about shooting a deer at a further distance, there's things that certain things need to happen. Heads got to be up. They got to be preoccupied. And yeah. it actually helps if there's other deer around. I've found that when there's solo deer, there's so much more on alert. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a cool experience hunting with my son for the first time. Nice. Or it was his second time hunting, but. Yeah, I've used mechanicals in the past. Um, I've killed deer with them in the past, and, you know, they worked. Um, <clears throat> they worked fine for me. I think the biggest thing for me was, like, when I started going, you know, made a trip out west and stuff like that, and you start dealing with bigger animals and, and stuff like that. And, look, I know guys will kill bigger animals with yeah with mechanicals as well. The biggest thing that sold me on shooting a, um, a fixed blade was I was listening to a podcast and a guy was talking about just like archery equipment setup. Yeah. You know, and he was talking about, you know, the, the amount of weight people pull and that like, you know, people over, you know, get overdrawn or over poundage their bow or whatever because they want to be tough guys yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, and that it's just more about being able to be efficient with your equipment. And then, so they started talking about broadheads as well. And what he basically said was, was like, he's like, look for a guy. And I don't remember the exact like numbers he gave. So I'll just give that caveat here. It's like, this isn't precise, but it's like, this is the generality they provided. And my numbers are probably slightly wrong, but it's in this range. He was like, if you're a guy who is pulling, you know, a 28 or better draw length. Yeah. He's like, and you're shooting, 70 pounds he's like you can use a mechanical all day yeah you know he was like because the energy you're going to lose to open that mechanical he's like you you're able to overcome that because of your draw length and the poundage that you're pulling yeah he's like for anyone for a guy or a woman who has a draw length below that and is pulling lower than that so if you're at like me for example 26 and a half inch draw tyrannosaurus rex arms right (laughs) I used to pull 70 pounds. Now I think I moved down to like 64 or whatever. Um, You know, he was like, if you're pulling less than 28 inches, you should not be shooting a mechanical. Yeah. You know, if you're less than 28 inch draw length, he's like, especially, you know, when you start dipping below 70 pound, you know, draw or whatever for me at 64, he's like, cause you've, you're already so losing so much you know, energy from the bow just because of my physics or my physical limitations or whatever. He's like, you can't afford to lose the energy you're going to lose to open that broadhead on impact. Yeah. You know, he was like, so for that reason, he's like anyone like me, for example, he was like, I would never recommend someone like me to shoot a shoot a mechanical broadhead. He's like, I just think you're begging for failure at some point. Yeah. You know, he was like, now like you, for example, with your draw, draw length and yeah, 28 and a half. Yeah. And your poundage pound is like, you probably won't have a problem with it. Yep. You know, he's like, but for someone like me or, a, you know, a woman per se shooting same draw, draw length at like 45 pounds. It's like, you're just, you're going to, 
you're you're gonna have problems. That's yeah. essentially what he was saying. There's some new women's bows that just came out by a couple of different companies and they've done some amazing things in the like the ladies' bow. Mm-hmm. They're throwing some serious heat, which is Are they? oh it's awesome. Nice. Yeah, we sold I sold one to a guy the other day because he had a shorter draw length and the speed coming out of this quote unquote woman's bow was better than he could get out of a quote unquote man's bow at a shorter draw. So it was cool. Yeah, right. it was Nice. They got some cool things going for them. Heck yeah, man. Well, I've kept you here for like an hour and a half. So I think uh, we'll go ahead and get this thing wrapped up, get yep. you home to your home to your family. Is there anything, where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you? Because you and I are going to hopefully take some trips this year. Yeah. Hopefully we've got a goose hunter too in our future. Yes. This year coming up. And then we'll see what happens in the spring, but hopefully we've got some turkey hunts coming up too. Yeah. Instagram is at Wilson.McSwain. There you go. And um, LinkedIn. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I have a LinkedIn account, but I don't think I've, I don't know. I haven't been on it in years. So, right. Yeah. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, my name is Wilson. <laughs> uh, awesome. That's the only other one I got. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, with that, let's shut this thing down. Thank you all for listening. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.